devil are you? <sighs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Don't Break the Oath podcast. All right, today we are going to be talking about uh, ghost planes. Uh, well, just strange things that have happened, but yeah. planes in general. Uh, so the theme just being planes. Ghost planes. Yeah. Um, and we are joined today by Michael and, and Joel. Joel from the Paranormal Night Stalker podcast. Um, they've recently restarted this podcast. They used to do it uh, before, although it wasn't really a podcast when they did it before. It was more of a uh, like a live stream, wasn't it? Yeah. But uh, but they've started. They've they've re- rebranded it, if you like, into a podcast. So if you get a chance, go and check them out. They are available on iTunes and all the usual places. Mm, yep, and it was a pleasure to talk to them, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, brilliant. Yeah, they're quite knowledgeable on yeah, some of the stuff. So it was all all gravy. Um, obviously, if you haven't already. Please enter the T-shirt competition. Yeah, time's yeah. running out, people. Yeah, you and uh, we have had some uh, close, uh, you know, some getting close. You know, remember they got like say four out of the six nailed on, um, and then the, the the other two are just a bit. Uh, yeah. So so just, just keep them coming. Yeah, keep just keep them coming. Keep, just keep coming sending in. them. On. All you got yeah. to do, just go to the email dbtopodcast at gmail dot com, and just literally put your just put you just put your six countries in order what you think listen to the show the most and um it wins a fantastic yeah, t-shirt you win a t-shirt for free it's all free so mm, yeah. can't be bad we'll even post it to you you know for free for free, free. Yeah. so uh yeah so get your get your are. entries in obviously it finishes the end of august so you know we've still got plenty of time um right paranormal news yeah you'll like these ones Welcome to another installment of the Paranormal News, broadcasting to you from places unknown, bringing you the top three paranormal headlines of the week. Five, four, three, two, one. Three. Express. Spirit of 3,000-year-old ancient Egyptian priest caught on camera. Ghost hunters have caught what they believe to be the spirit of an ancient Egyptian priest on camera, entering his tomb. Ghost hunting couple Sean Reynolds and Rebecca Palmer were filming in Leeds City Museum, home to the tomb of the ancient priest Nezyamun, when they filmed a hooded, shadowy figure walking across the room. The alleged spirit, who was who was said to be dead for 3,000 years, appeared. The electronic equipment in the room can be heard beeping frantically. Mr. Reynolds said, all the equipment was going crazy. That only happens if someone sets off the alarms. Two. Coronation Street Studios get a visit from an exorcist after paranormal activity. Stars refuse to work in Granada Studios as they believe it is haunted by former celebrities. There have been reports of strange going on, goings on, interrupting rehearsals, and now an exorcist has paid a visit to put a stop to the paranormal activity. The iconic old Granada Studios was due to host a rap party for Grand Granada Land at the end of the month. But organisers had to call in the Ghostbusters and the tribute act refused to play because they claimed they had experienced a ghostly presence while rehearsing. The studio is no, is no stranger to a ghost meter having previously hosted the cast of Most Haunted 2005 and came to investigate the former Coronation Street set 
after a number of reports of mysterious phenomena. One. From the Post and Courier, agencies advise on possible lizard man and Bigfoot sightings in South Carolina during eclipse. It says, amid the solar eclipse hype, which will bring millions of visitors to dozens of events happening across the state this month, uh, 21st of August, there's one thing you probably haven't prepared for, a supernatural encounter. The article goes on to say that, obviously with it being darkness during the total eclipse, could bring out of hiding the Bigfoot and the Lizardmen. Uh, the Greenville Police Department posted on Twitter a video of a, what appears to be a Bigfoot standing in a bush and they commented, after watching this video on nearby booms, North Carolina, Facebook followers and friends, we think we can say with some confidence that proof of Bigfoot still eludes us, but if you see a Bigfoot, please do not shoot him here or here, as you'll most likely be wounding a fun-loving and well-intentioned person sweating in a gorilla costume. Okay, so that's the paranormal news. Um, the video of the uh, priest walking into uh, caught on camera walking into his tomb, as it says, that's on. That'll be on the paranormal. Hangout. Yeah, we'll put that on soon, won't we? Yep. Yeah, and uh, if you want to read further about the lizard man uh, potential sightings in during the eclipse, I um, mean that's that's quite spooky because we, we was talking about that what, yeah, last week. What, we just recorded a show on yeah. lizard men where yeah. we um, we actually. Uh, we didn't. We want eclipse, was it? But no, we, we said when the sun goes down, yeah. or you know, some uh, kind of. Uh, we'll uh, we'll put that out. It's a lizard yeah. man show. It's coming out soon, so yeah. you know, we our theory sort of goes along the lines of that. But if you want to read that, I'll, I'll put I'll put that uh, article into the into the uh, paranormal hangout as well. Again, if you, if you want to get in get in, involved in any of that, I'll put most of the links in the show notes. Uh, at the end of the show, so yeah. you can find it there. Right, without further ado, let's uh, crack on with today's show, Ghost Planes. Ghost Planes. Yeah, so obviously this encompasses a lot of different things, and it was basically just, uh, you know, go and find someone on a, a plane and a ghost, you know, that, that'll do. So well, um, You found that more, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we found a couple of things. I found one story which focused on um, Pearl Harbor. I don't know if you come across that one. But um, I've so, heard oh, I've heard a lot of stuff. Yeah, from there and especially from World War Two in general. Mm. I mean, even going from uh, the U.S., Japan, and even into England, there have been reports of like uh, I the name of the area is skip is missing me right now. Uh, it's gone, but uh, a man called in a uh, he thought a like a air show was happening near him. Because he saw what looked to be a World War Two era bomber mm. with flames coming out of its engines. Was this kind of Derbyshire? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hot, hot spot in Derbyshire. Mm. I've heard that a lot, actually. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's different places with different things in the UK. It's really weird how, it, you know, you get like this area's like. Ghost planes. This area's poltergeist. This area's it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? It's just up in yeah, um, Ireland, you know, Ireland as well. But um, you know, I, I, um, the UK is some place I've always wanted to come, and it's on my bucket list. I really hope I can. Mm. The country will probably have to throw me out to get <laughs> me to come home because there are so many places I want to go over there and look at and investigate and research that um, they would probably kick me out of the country for staying too long. Well, so um, 
Well, we don't tend to kick anybody out, do we? That's no, we part to, of the problem. Yeah, <laughs> tend to let them in. So, no. But uh, what can we say? So, um, shall I start with a fair story then? Oh, bombings. How about it? Yep. So the, the first one I got was the... Um, and again, this happened in the... Well, it involves the UK and uh, Belgium was the other place, but it was the 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 Flying Fortress, the B-17 Flying Fortress. I don't know if you come across this in your, in your uh, revision for this, but essentially what happened with this one is... And I think this took place in Belgium. I was... I, I was the details are really sketchy on this, so it, which you know makes you you know a bit wary of the <laughs> wary of it. But I think this takes place in Belgium. From uh, you know as it transpires, I think that makes sense. So essentially, what happens is the radar tower picks up this plane coming in, and you know get a visual on it, and it circles the airport a few times, and they get a visual on it, and they can see it's this uh, this flying fortress. Obviously, it's an you know an Allied plane essentially. They try and radio up to it, no response, nothing mm. comes back. Um, anyway, they radio it a few times. It circles a few times. It's got its landing gear down, so obviously you know they, they know it's coming in for a landing at that point. Anyway, it comes in for a landing, and it uh, basically almost crash lands it sort of bounces it has got its wheels out it bounces down the runway what happens is it sort of tilts as it's coming the bouncing down the runway and its wing digs in the ground and actually that's what brings it to a stop mm. now the, the the landing crew go out to the plane you know the emergency ve- the vehicles and that they all shoot out to it and straight away they can see that the plane itself doesn't look that damaged although one of the propellers is missing I think it was engine 3 I think it comes in late, later on but one of the propellers was obviously damaged um, but the propellers were still turning at this point so you know everything's still running and it, it actually when it finished up it was only 90 feet away from the um, it was 90 feet away from the uh, gunnery position so it's a good job it did come to a you know a standstill where it did but the emergency crews rush out to it and wait for wait to see what happens anyway nobody comes out of the plane so they're sitting there Mama. hey bugger what's up where's mummy Mama. two two sex the kids just turned up yeah we've got the children now yeah, hey, you're gonna hear uh, people walking around here. My dog running around. I've got kids in the house too. One was getting a pop tart right when I started the call. Actually, <laughs> so just let me get rid of this child. <laughs> it's all good. Man. Life's got to happen too, you know. Yeah, come on, baby. Yeah, you see the dog is. <laughs> Cut all, cut all that shit okay. out, I wanna. Joy's the better today, Right, mate. so. Okay. Where did it get to? I don't know. Oh yeah, so it, so, yeah, so it comes to a, like, complete standstill, 90 feet from this gunnery position. But like I say, the, the crew, when they immediately looked at it, thought there was no damage to this, you know, aircraft. Mm. They couldn't see any damage, so they couldn't understand, you know, why nobody came out of it. Anyway, it was 20 minutes. It had been on the tarmac 20 minutes. Engine's still running when this guy called John V. Crisp turns up. And he gets permission to board the plane. Okay, so at this point, it's still still the propellers are still going. So the first thing he does is he goes aboard the plane. Couldn't, can't see anybody. There's nobody on the plane. So he goes, shuts the engines off. Okay. 
So he's looking around the plane, he finds, it basically looks like they've just, there's people there that have just vanished, you know, because, you know, he's seen half-eaten chocolate bars, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you know, it's just like a sudden, you know, gone. Anyway, he's walking around, walking around, and he gets to the navigation station, and at the navigation station on the desk, there's a bomber's log. Okay, so he opens that, and he, the, the last thing, the last entry in there says, bad flack. So, you know, take that to mean, like, you know, obviously they've caught some flack, you know, which means, you know, they've caught some like, stray bullets or something. He also finds 12 parachutes all neatly wrapped. So, again, you know, there's no crew and the parachutes are still here, so he's a bit, you know, what's what's going on here? And the plane's obviously landed on tarmac, there's no crew on it, so, you know, straight away it's a bit bit strange. So they get in touch with the US, um, I think it was the US 8th Air Force Service Command, the headquarters in Belgium, and uh, they, they, uh, they basically send, a, you know, some personnel to investigate this plane. They check it over, find the serial number, and uh, they find that this plane belongs to the 91st Bomber Group. Okay, so they get in touch with, which is based in East Anglia in, in uh, England. They get in contact with this uh, group to find that the group's already at the base in East Anglia. Okay, right. So you might be wondering. How did the plane get there and the crew in England? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, maybe this is, maybe this is not as paranormal as it first seems, okay? Because it turns out that the, the B-17 Flying Fortress was on a mission to Mesberg oil targets, okay? And, the bomber developed trouble just before reaching the target area. And it was unable to stay at altitude, okay? So they... Basically, they took a direct hit. Uh, the engine free was taken out of commission, and the bomb bay was struck. Um, so that's, they made the decision... Because the bomb bay was struck, there was a bit worried, you know? Mm. So um, this uh, pilot was called Harold D. DeBolt, he made the decision to uh, to evacuate the plane because at that point he thought it was going to blow up any minute, you know, because obviously... So, and obviously with the bad weather and with them not being able to keep altitude, it was just a matter of time before this plane was going to go down. So apparently the crew did evacuate. They, they, they got the parachutes and jumped out. It turns out these parachutes that Chris saw were just sort of spare, you know. I don't know why they'd have 12 spare parachutes, but, you oh, know, well. apparently they did. But um, he um, before leaving the plane, though he before he realised it was too far gone, he actually set um, the autopilot to to Brussels. That was the nearest Allied air base. Like it was meant to go back to, like, say, East Anglia, which is obviously Eastern Britain, and he, he just didn't think he could make the plane mm. would make it that far. So he set it to autopilot. Gets over to, uh, and obviously we know now it, it landed in. Uh, yeah, but we've landed uh, in Brussels. I, I didn't think an autopilot can land itself. Well, that was my first question. Uh, and I, I, I got well, actually, if I don't mind me breaking in just a little bit, I know modern planes. Some of them have auto land. You know, the the plane can land itself on automatic pilot if it has to. Yeah. But those planes, those planes didn't have auto land. Yeah. The Flying Fortress. No, I, no, I mean that's. that's what I thought. So how would a plane? I mean, what we're talking about here is what you had four. 
propellers, doesn't it? It's like a you know, it's yeah, a, it's a yeah. big old plane, isn't it? Ooh. Yeah. Um, actually, my father um, was a bomber pilot in World War Two, so yeah, he he talked about that plane a good bit, about the size of it, and um, yeah, they didn't have auto land. Also, the landing gear wouldn't have been down if you jumped out of the plane at low altitude. The only reason that they would have put the landing gear down would have been to slow the plane down because of the drag from the yeah. wheels. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. would have slowed the plane down more, maybe to jump out if they were going too fast. But if they're at low speed or low altitude and they do that, then the plane's going to stall because you're not going to have enough speed. You know, you'll you'll be going too slow, and you'll lose you'll lose lift you'll lose lift under the for the wings, so you'll stall. So they probably wouldn't have put the landing gear down. I'm not a pilot, but I know I know that you know usually you don't put the gear down until you're ready to come in because of, because of the added drag and weight, you know, of the landing gear being under the plane. So it it doesn't make sense that he would have put the landing gear down and configured for landing because you also have to figure that there's landing gear and there's flaps, you know, and there's a lot of things that have to be that have to be done, you know, the um, the, the, the angle of attack, the, the flare, you know, when you come in, you know, you don't land straight in, you land a little bit nose up, you know, so that your your back wheels come in first, you know, yeah, because you don't want to you don't want to nose dive in, so and that, some... that was one of the things that apparently the crew that were on the ground said this they saw this thing land it didn't mm. you know it didn't crash as such it, it, it they said it landed mm. you know i yeah, know it, i know it landed it, and it ditched yeah it came in fast so yeah, it, it, obviously okay. you know that's what you know yeah. made it bounce bounce and it the thing but yeah no they said it landed um that's just, damn strange i just don't know um I mean, if that's true, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot more questions yeah, than answers see, there. You know, if you said that on auto, autopilot, okay, it's just going to go straight to it. Once out of fuel, mm. and then it's going to go. Yeah. There was a it. case of, um, I mean, it wasn't paranormal, but Helios flight. I don't, have you seen, have you seen this? Yeah, I know about that. I know about that flight. They, yeah, uh, cab- they, I believe the cabin depressurized or something. Yeah, and, yeah they, they were yeah, out of oxygen, yeah, because the, they were out of oxygen. There's basically, there's a switch. Yeah, uh, like a, the, you know, a manually controlled switch that yeah. when the the ground crew come on to test the plane, that they, they switch it over to to manual just to do the test. Then they're meant to switch it back, it back to auto, but they've got to do it. Yeah. So basically, what this switch does, it just recirculates oxygen, drags it in through the engines, and recirculates it through the cab. Um. So obviously, once that switch was off, it never did that. So as soon as they got to a high altitude and run out of oxygen, the oxygen drops, the oxygen mass dropped down, and the pilots run out of oxygen. But the same thing happened in that situation. I mean, this is a bit more modern. Like, I mean, when was it? Two thousand or something? Wasn't that long ago? Was it two thousand three? I mean, was it? Yeah, and uh, right. but that obviously circled Athens a few times, uh, and it was just basically in a circling pattern, wasn't it? Because that's yeah. what the autopilot told it to do. Um, and then obviously the one of the uh, flight attendants uh, managed to fly the plane away from Athens and uh, basically crashed into the mountainside yeah. there, didn't it? But um, so obviously he saved a few people's lives there, but. Yeah, essentially, that's what I'd expect autopilot to do is just, you know, maybe come into a cir- you know, circular pattern around, around the thing. But to fl- to land itself, again, you know, the Flying Fortress, I think 
I was looking at it earlier, and I think it was, I think they stopped producing them in like 1945 or something. I think it was a, uh, you know what I mean? Mm. It was like, a, it is a World War Two plane, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a, it's a, yeah, it, it, the autopilot on that, it, it's going into the uh, the technology advancements. The autopilot on that would have been a minimal, minimally operative system to begin with from the very beginning. It mm-hmm. would have basically probably just held maybe speed and altitude. Yeah. yeah. If, it, if, it, if, because, if it even had that. Yeah, I was just thinking it would be yeah, like a, if, a rubber, rubber band. You know, like a rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> you just basically Pretty put, much, yeah. yeah because, <laughs> you also have to figure... You see an airplane moving with you, you flight sit, yeah. you know, just got hold of it. No, you know, no, that's yeah, it, the, just holds on there. Look. I was thinking about, yeah, the one of the... Fuel. All the comes up and grabs a hold of the wheel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, because you got to also figure, since this was also a war plane, this was a a bomber. Autopilot was not a very important feature for it because, let's face it, they weren't doing a lot of cruising. They were flying into areas with very big guns shooting at them. You can't really have autopilot when you need to change direction very quickly because you're getting bombarded with, you know, surface-to-air rocket fire and this kind of stuff. You, you can't just sit there and wait for autopilot to correct or turn it off or something. You've got to move then. You've got to try to get out. So... I'm, I'm not seeing autopilot as a very big uh, feature on these planes. This was not meant for luxury or ease of control and access. This was, you know, basically a giant flying gun. Well, you know, basically, I think the most the most technologically advanced thing on that plane was probably the Norton bomb site. You know, I mean, which was quite a quite a thing. Um, I actually saw a documentary a while back, and. Um, I don't remember. I think it was in the U.S., but I think there were some folks from the U.K. that were helping, and they had restored a bomber, and they were talking about all the cables and everything that it, it took because it was all cable control. When you pull the lever, you know, in the front of the plane to do something, there were just cables around the whole length of the plane to to work the control services and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, autopilot doesn't cover that. I mean, it would it might have got. If you pointed it in a direction, it might have got to a certain spot, but there's no way it could have landed itself, I don't think. I just, I don't see that. The other, the other thing I want to know is where was the plane, you know, in the meantime, because obviously they evacuated the plane, parachuted down, managed to get back to back to England before this plan managed to land in Brussels. So, what, you know, where had it been in the meantime, you know? Yeah, that's another thing. How- I, was, I was sitting there, I, I mean, I'm not... Compl- very familiar with the the area, but I'm like I'm sitting here trying to figure the math in, and I'm like, there's a good, at least a good hour, maybe two gap there that the plane somehow slowed down. I guess for you know because you have the one t- they were able to get back to their base, right? The one the people that had evacuated, they were able to get back to the base before this plane hit. You'd figure pretty much as soon as the uh, crew evacuated the plane the plane was going to go straight down yeah i mean you would think that i suppose we don't know how quickly they identified the plane do we so you know i could be doing a disservice there i mean it might have took them a couple of days to to identify the plane to get the personnel there to identify the plane so uh, it gives them a little bit of more window doesn't it but it would have been really interesting if we could find out first off how much fuel they took on when they took off how much Fuel were in the tanks. How much fuel was left when it landed in the tanks? 
then you could figure out the fuel rate burn for the engines, and that would give you an idea of how long the plane was in the air. You know, you'd have, but you, but you'd have to know that before you could you could give any kind of a, uh, a, a, a any kind of a legitimate guess. I would think. You know, you, you really couldn't just guess. You'd have to have the math, do the math on it to figure it out would be my guess. But it is interesting because I, I can't see how that logically could happen. Obviously, it no. did because the plane landed, but I, I, I don't know how. If it's, I, I do uh, know. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. I, I would just um, – I had a good friend that was in the Navy uh, during the war, and he and I used to talk, and he – um. He was on board an aircraft carrier, and he told us that um, they had one of their fighters come in that was shot all to pieces. I mean, it, it was just shot all to hell, you know, had holes all in it. And that when the plane landed, the pilot was dead, and they said that there was no way he could have landed at that airplane. He had no blood left in his body. The, the bullets had went all the way through him, and he had completely bled out. And that there was no way he could have landed. And we don't know how he landed. The only thing that we could all think of was that he had to get home. You know, something, his, his spirit, or whatever you want to call it, his life force, he wanted to get home. You know, that was his mission was to land, and somehow... For however it happened, he landed because the plane was shot all to hell. And there's, and he was dead. There was no way he could have done what it was required to do to land. There is cases of people um, living longer than you'd give them, you know, you'd, you'd think you could. Mm. I mean, there was a case that happened, because um, where we are, we're like a fishing town. And um, there was a trawler uh, went out, and it had one of, it had one of these... Uh, Basically, it's like a, it's a trawl net. It's, you just chuck it over the side. You, 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 you drive the boat forward and, and whatever you catch, yeah, you catch, you know? Move and then you, you, then you basically just winch it back aboard and, but occasionally these trawl nets will get caught on the bottom. Um, and obviously when you start winching them, there's a lot of tension there. And one of these wires that was uh, bringing it back aboard was under that tent. It got caught on the bottom. It, it got under tension and it snapped and it, it basically cut this bloke in half. Now, this was in the North Sea, so it was cold, but this bloke went, basically got cut clean in half across the hips. And, uh, do you know that guy smoked a cigarette before he died? Yeah, I can believe that. Actually, I, um, I have a medical background. I worked in a, well, I was a paramedic for a number of years, and then I worked in an intensive care unit as a cardiac technician for seven years. Um, actually, probably what happened, if he was cut clean, then the arteries were, they can, first off, they constrict, you know, because they're elastic. When you cut them, like that, they'll constrict if the weather's cold, and if the cable was hot, if there was heat, built up in the cable, it would have cauterized some of it. So that would have made almost made sense to be that. That would have been possible. The cold weather definitely would have baited in that because it would have pushed the blood up to the heart and the brain, you know, instead of out. But yeah, it could have, it could have, that's entirely possible. Mm. But he didn't, he didn't do that any of that, uh, you know what you see on movies where they say, tell my wife and all that shit. He didn't say that. He said, just give me a, give me a cigarette. <laughs> give me a fag. <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah, I, I could, that's one of the things I could see me doing a bit like, okay, before I go, hand me my cigarette. I was actually in a wreck in uh, 2000, and that's, that was my first request is, uh, uh, can you hand me a lighter? And he's like, can't you smell the gasoline? I don't think smoking right now is a good choice. Ah, crap. <laughs> I'm trapped in the car, and he's like, you know, to, I don't think smoking right now is a good choice. And it's like, well, yeah, it depends on which side of the car you're on, I guess. You're out there. I'm in here. See, me being British, I'd want a cup of tea. Mm. <laughs> so, but uh, go on then. Let's have um, one of your two stories then. Well, I've, I've got one. It's not exactly a, a phantom crash. It's more of a disappearance. Yeah, I'll do um, it. Yeah, as long as it's a plane. It counts. It's a plane. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a plane. You're familiar with the area called the Bermuda Triangle. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this one case, um, it came to my attention um, a number of years back. A man named Ian, Ian, Ian Quasar, I believe was his name, wrote a book on the Bermuda Triangle. And this case was listed in it, just a blurb. It wasn't like a whole chapter or nothing, just a small, a small thing. But it got my attention, and there's why. Um, it was, uh, the, the designation of the flight was Eastern Caribbean flight 912. And it went missing on November 3rd, 1978, which November 3rd is my birthday. That's why I remembered the case. Um, it was a Piper. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about, I guess I'm sure you know about airplanes. It was a Piper. Um, it was a Piper Chieftain, which is a, um, they're a little bit larger than it's the same basic plane as a Navajo, but it's got like a, a a longer fuselage. They lengthen it out to carry more cargo. Um. Anyway, it's a twin engine prop, you know, prop airplane used for short, uh, you know, used for like um, commercial and hauling passengers and stuff like that. It's not a huge plane, but it's it's fairly good size. Um. Anyway, uh, the plane left. Um, I'm sorry, I'm tickling my throat there. It left uh, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands en route to St. Croix, which is also in the, the Virgin Islands. Um, and it was on, it was coming in for landing. And it was on radar. It was also, and this is what got me, it was actually on visual. The the tower man had had it on visual um, at St. Thomas when it was coming in from St. Croix. And it was on visual. He looks up, he sees it coming in about two miles out. He sees the landing lights and the wing lights and everything. And he's got a plane on the runway taken off. So he looked down at the radar screen to make sure that the runway was clear of the, the plane taking off before this other plane could come in, obviously. He looks down. He looks back up. The plane's gone. Well, that makes it different to me because a lot of the planes that disappeared in that area, they weren't on, they might have been on radar, but they weren't on visual. You know, he saw it. His eyes, he saw it with his own eyes. He looked down, he looked back. There's no way that the plane could have turned 
and got out of his line of sight, even if it had decided not to land, if he just turned and decided to go somewhere else and didn't radio, he had already been cleared to land. Where did he go? There was no wreckage. There was a four-day search by the Coast Guard. They found no wreckage. There was no distress call. There was no um, emergency locator beacon. You know, those planes, when they crash, there's a emergency locator transponder that goes off that, that tells you when they, you know, that they went down. There was no beacon. It just, like, it just flew into nothing. Mm. And this was, you know, this was good weather. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, weather was, the weather was good. It happened at, like, um, it was in the evening time, around maybe 7 o'clock at night. But um, it was visual rules. I mean, the, the flight was in good shape. I've actually got a copy of the um, the NTSB report, which is the National Transportation Safety Board here that takes care of, like, plane crashes and stuff like that. You know, any, any railway track, anything to do with um, airplanes, trains, whenever something like that has a an accident. Um it was a missing aircraft, not recovered, was what they put on their official report. Probable cause of the accident under miscellaneous is put undetermined. And in remarks, aircraft damage and injury index presumed. They presume there was damage and injury, but they don't know because they can't they couldn't find it. Um and if anyone wants to do their own looking at it. I can give you the NTSB ID number, and they can look it up for themselves. It's online. You can just go online and look it up. Um, and it, uh, it's MIA79F, like Frank, A like Adam, 010. And that's the, uh, that's the NTSB uh, number uh, for the for the report, if they'd like to look it up. And it was a Piper PA-31, which is a chieftain. And the tail number was November 59912. But it was never found. Um, the pilot's name was Irving Rivers. And as far as I've ever found, he was never seen or heard of again. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, do we know if he was an experienced pilot? Or? Yes, he had many hours in type. He was a very experienced pilot. Um the plane records show that it had been recently serviced, was in good shape. It had no defects as far as anyone could tell. Um, it just, the thing about it, like I said, that got me was the fact that it disappeared while on final on and on visual. Someone actually saw it right before it disappeared and it just like it flew into nothing. Mm. We're getting that, you yeah. know, obviously we get that now with UFOs, don't we? Where you, you, you can they blink, blink, and blink out, out, don't they? Out. Yeah, but obviously this is a plane, not yeah, a UFO. Yeah. So, it's, uh, you know, it's um, unusual to say the yeah, least. It, and if it flew through a portal, you know, mm. I don't know, or a certain time, like I'd say Bermuda Triangle's just. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's rife for this sort of shit. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, not, not just for yeah. planes, for boats and everything, yeah. isn't it? So. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, the, the triangle's one of the vile vortices. There are 10 of them. Mm. Actually. And, uh, that, uh, that term was coined by Ivan Sanderson back in the 60s or 70s, I believe it was. Uh, but there are 10 areas around the world that have that happen. And actually two of them are over land. Mm. 
but there's one um, there's one called the Devil Sea off Japan where the same kind of thing happens. Yeah. They have they have time they have time anomalies where planes will take off, and um, you know, and they'll be on a certain route, but mm-hmm. they'll land quicker than they should have. Like they'll get there faster than they, than they should have gotten there, you know, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, they'll have some kind of an anomaly with, with time. That blows me away. Um, that one, when they say that, yeah, because there's been yeah. loads of reports of that. Anyway, the journey should have took, I don't know, say four hours, and, and the guys took off, landed in you know, less than two hours, and he's still got his fuel tanks are full. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, actually, there was a pilot named Bruce Gernon, um, that flew into the triangle. And had that kind of thing happen, he was actually not on radar. He was finally he was in control of the tower, in radio contact with the tower, and the tower says we don't have you on radar. And he was in some kind of a weird cloud formation. He flew flew through a cloud formation, and when he landed, he got he got back to Miami. He got there like an hour quicker than he should have. So, so there was some kind of a time anomaly there, and he wrote a book about it. It's called it's called the fog. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, a lot of this goes down to um, being like some sort of magnetic sort of energy, doesn't it? But um, yeah, I would, I would, I think, I think actually some sort of a, um, it's probably well if you if you. Go according to like the many worlds interpretation in physics, you know that there are there are an, an infinite number of universes alongside our own, and and in each one of them we exist because of a different choice we make, and it branches off, and there's all these, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe two of the universes collide and something happens, or there's some kind of a, a electromagnetic thing. They do have something called electronic fog that they talk about in that area. It's kind of a yellow-looking mist, and it seems to cause havoc with all kind of electronic things. Compasses, Compasses go off, radios yeah, yeah. don't work. Yeah, the only problem with the, 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 you know, this magnetic fog and all this stuff is is the, the accounts of ships going missing and that. You know, like, you know, going back right to the time of Columbus and stuff, mm. you know, where, you know, magnetics wouldn't really play, a, well, play into that. Well, one the, theory which... Well, think, you uh, know, even even the even the Mary Celeste, if you're familiar with the Mary Celeste, it was a sailing ship, and they found her sailing nicely trimmed, you know, sails, sails in good shape, no damage on board, Meals on the table. Captain's still got coffee in his coffee cup, and all this stuff's there. But there's no crew. The crew had crew had vanished. And why did why did you leave a perfectly sound ship when the you know obviously there was nothing wrong with the ship that wasn't sinking or anything? They were just gone, and they were never found. So, I mean, and that wasn't even in the triangle. That was farther up. I think, but still, there, there are things like that that happen, and and you wonder what you know what could have brought that on. But even Columbus reported seeing lights in the sky. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, in that area. So yeah. who I knows? I mean, reported uh, stuff coming out from the water as well. Was it bright yeah, light? Yeah, the light you saw came out out, out of the water. water. Yeah. Came out the water. Um, my father, uh, years before I was born, but he um, after the war. 
did a number of things, and one of those things he did for a while, he was a shrimp, a shrimp boat captain, you know, that pulled the nets, you know, at the bottom, at the you know, trawled for shrimp. And in the Gulf of Mexico, the guys used to shrimp, they, two or three of them would, would, would run together for safety. And they saw lights coming out of the water at one point. There were three of them. He said they look like balls, just balls of light that come up out of the ocean. And they uh, never could figure, figure that out. Not look but, to know what was going on. Uh, well, you know, there is a, a ship anomaly called St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah. And it's kind of, I guess, like a, a electromagnetic discharge, and it will travel on the masts of ships and mm. just it lights them up. And that's one of the things that had fascinated me with that. So there's a lot of stuff in the in the open. I guess you would say the open sea that we really have no clue oh, about. There's, um, and there's a there's a in those route. areas. No, I was just <laughs> one say, one. The same thing. The same thing happens in the, there's a river in China where you know every now and again it, it releases balls of fire into the sky. Mm. You know no. they're, they're not they're not sure what that is. Either. I mean I think methane gas has been ruled out, hasn't it? Um. So well, that would be your first thought. Would be a methane gas yeah, discharge. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. been ruled out. So, not, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. And I uh, know with the, I know with around uh, in the same kind of areas as like there. Well, the, we the most famous is the Bermuda Triangle, but there are other areas that kind of have the same reputation. Especially, it seems like in the Atlantic rather than in the Pacific, until you get into the area of Japan and Asia and that, but. They have noticed uh, what they call um, satellite dead zones. Satellites, uh, global imaging satellites, detect nothing there. It's like the world doesn't exist in one specific area. Mm. And and this is not a constant thing. This goes uh, and comes. What sort of size are we talking about of an area? Uh, one of them I read about a while back was roughly, uh, I think, 500 nautical miles. So some of them are huge. Some of them are smaller, but the, it, it fluctuates, and they don't know if it's some kind of uh, electromagnetic discharge that's causing the satellite to kind of ricochet back off of it where it can't see or exactly what's going on there because as of date, they're they're not very predictable, so they haven't been able to get like a uh, a ship or a plane to be able to fly through one of those or near one of those to see if there is some kind of anomaly that kind of coincides. But nothing electrical can read through it, so they're they are detected by like uh, weather satellites and stuff like that. But it just comes up as a a blank space. And they've also started finding, like in the Gulf of Mexico, dead, what they call dead water. And these are patches that literally there is no life. No fish will f- swim through it. Nothing. So, you know, there's a lot going on with the, like I said, with the ocean that we have no clue exactly what is going on with it. If it's some, you know... I don't, I don't really want to put it into so much of like one specific type of theory, but you know, when you look at like a dead zone from satellites, you look at an area that fish won't swim in. No life grows there. The water is different colors. It has a different temperature than the water surrounding it. 
and there's nothing naturally occurring that we can detect underneath the surface to actually cause something like this. I know it doesn't exactly fit into the plain, the plain uh, theme of today, but uh, like I've said in uh, some of my other shows, sometimes when I start going like this, it's easier to go with the flow than to try to yeah. change the course of the river. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, that, that's been – because it is, a, it is a naturally occurring phenomenon. We just do not know exactly why or how or what is causing this. Mm. Well, yeah, and, I mean, that goes for most of the paranormal, really. Yeah. Actually, it, it does. It covers a lot of it. Uh, you know, there is stuff that so much that we don't understand about the world around us. As far as, you know, uh, like Mike was saying, if it's, it's like when the, a plane is on radar and you're watching it and all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. You know, is there, when something like that comes up, is this something of a extra dimension kind of coming through or, because, uh, well, this one actually, uh, kind of, a, <clears throat> sorry, I wasn't really prepared for it, but I, I didn't, but I do remember reading a while back, a story of a man that landed in Japan. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was from Europe. He lands in Japan, gets off his air, the airplane, goes up to customs, gives him his passport, and there's only one problem. He's from a country that doesn't exist. It's never existed. He's got currency from that country. He's got a driver's license. He's got a passport. He has a reservation at a motel. He has his business cards for the company he works for. He's got the company he is there to talk to. He's got all of this information, everything like that, actually, like the motel exists. The company he is there to, uh, they were, he's, he was some type of businessman. He was working a deal out with someone. He had come to Japan to finalize it. All of the people he was there to meet, everything like that was all verifiable. It's just the fact that he was from a country that doesn't exist. It's never existed. He could point out where the country is supposed to be on a map. Now, of course, uh, this also goes into the realm of you can search all you want. You're never going to find anything on it. Now, if it's uh, just somebody's story that they made up that's gotten lost in time, kind of, uh, I guess you'd say, like the, the Slender Man thing, where... You've got a, a, a verifiably created fictitious character that now all of a sudden seems to be popping up everywhere and very much real to the people who are talking about it. Or if this was something that did actually occur, and let's face it, if something like that did occur, and I, I, I don't want to sound like uh, one of the people that are wearing tinfoil hats, but let's face it, the government would cover that up. They would not want... They wouldn't want uh, the known fact of, hey, this guy just somehow ended up on an airplane that took off from Europe, landed in Japan. The only thing is it took off from a country that he was in that doesn't exist and it never has existed. I mean, just to think about what would happen with the world in large if, you know, we actually had a verifiable case of the fact of, I guess what that would be, interdimensional travel. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's. It's, I mean, where do you start with something like that? I mean, yeah, you know. It, well, I mean, it, it, something like that. I guess it'd be up to the Japanese authorities to to uh, to release it or not, wouldn't it? Not. Yeah, well, you know, if all the government. That's the what. They, well, that, you know, according to the story, 
they, yeah. uh, I guess you'd say quarantined him or whatever. They took him to a specific place. They seized all of his documentation, all did, of his money. Did he, did he vanish? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think they put him in they a go hold, the next hold morning. Inside. He's yeah. gone. Yeah. He's gone. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like I said, I would love, I've, I've looked for anything about that, but the fact is it, it I think it was supposed to have happened in the sixties or seventies. So the records from that era are either unavailable or not digitized or just don't exist. You know, and, and then, like I said, you've got to throw into, is this something that somebody made up on the Internet that has now gotten traction and the original source is forgotten? Just the new source that's saying, oh, no, this was a real story. You know, as much as the Internet is really cool with the fact that you can look up and you can learn so much about stuff, it's also in the uh, kind of bad because you really can't believe about 90, 95% of the stuff that you read on the internet because anybody does have the ability to put it out there and it can be lost quickly and become a, become a fact and the original part being forgotten. Like I said, the, the best case I can think of is Slenderman. He was created on Reddit for a, a game and he actually did become a video game. Now you go forward about 10 years all of a sudden, the fact that he was created for a contest and then later became a video game is forgotten. And you have people reporting that he's real and reporting sightings of him. And you know, that's a that's a topic for a whole other show. But it's just that's that's the way the Internet works. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can go down loads of rabbit holes up, you know, when you start thinking about tulpas and stuff, you know, where you're conjuring this stuff up and, and all that kind of shit. So. Oh yeah, like I said, that's a topic for a whole other show. Absolutely, yeah. Did um, I mean you had you had a vanishing plane, didn't you, Ant? Yeah, I had uh, a vanishing well, one. Well, this one's I don't know. I mean, I've read this up. I've tried to see it's it's you know it's true, and you know, as far as I know, it is. But you know, I could be. I, I'm just going to give out the story. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, this is it's supposed to be one of the world's greatest avian aviation mi- mysteries. We'll see. Right. In 1946, uh, a plane that departed Rio de Janeiro, heading for the Cuban capital of Havana, it disappeared after takeoff. Uh, the mysterious vanishing was reported and the case was closed after local authorities failed to find the airliner. Right, the puzzling disappearance uh, rocked the world again as a plane landed 47 years later in December 1993. Not in Havana but at the airport of Bogota in Colombia. Now, obviously, when this plane came down, obviously it was like, you know, first of all, my, my thought would be, hang on a minute, this plane, now, did what was it caught on radar? I mean, you wouldn't get a plane coming in and, you know, yeah, yeah. you've got to have, you know, clearance. But anyway, uh, when the uh, people eventually uh, entered the plane, they saw 36 human skeletons, warm coffee cups, even lit cigarettes and newspapers dated from the 21st to the 9th, 1946. All the things were found on board the ghost craft of type Lockheed Constellation uh, LO49149. Now, it, it says that this ranks as one of the greatest mysteries in aviation history. 
how can you explain how a plane disappeared in 1946 and reappeared in 1993 before making a perfect landing on an airport runway with only skeletons aboard? Mm. Okay? Now, I'm just going to go basic here. Right. Uh, a guy called Herman Guevara was the leader of a very large group of scientists who was, his task was to find out what the fuck's going on here. Oh, man, I mean, I've been, you know, I mean. He said, the only thing I can tell you is that the plane took off at the airport in Rio de Janeiro on September 21st, 1946, and it went missing during its flight. Over 47 years, the same plan lands at another airport in South America, and no one can explain what happened meantime. How can a plane carrying only skeletons on board made the landing with only God knows? The 36 passengers, including crew of four, took off after all the regulations. Mm. So, I don't know if you, you guys heard about this one or, uh, you know. No, but it's I, damn, I haven't, but it's damn interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, I looked into this one and I thought, oh, it's going to be a, Bogus one. It's got to be something. Got to yeah. be but I've gone. I've got I've looked into a bit more, and it's it's. I've got a load of uh, comments on it. You know, where they do reviews and all that, and they they seem to be saying, yeah, it's genuine, and you know. So, uh, I mean, it, it said it ranks as one of the greatest mysteries in aviation history. One of them. So it's strange how it definitely. Yeah, it would definitely rank up in the. I'd say in the top five. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. if you have a a plane that basically was crewed and landed by skeletons and it took it 50 years to make the trip yeah i and mean how right there the fuel alone should not have lasted anywhere no. near that long <laughs> and you've got to go into the, the humans didn't the people didn't, yeah, so yeah I was about to say, then you have to go into the fact that the plane survived there were lit cigarettes which yeah. uh, i smoked <laughs> they don't stay lit that long yeah uh, but complete Same, and uh, utter that's yeah, got to be some kind of position that's got to be time warp, some kind of a time thing, uh, a, a dimensional something. It gets into a whole bunch of quantum physics Ooh. stuff. It's got to, it's got to be a time, some kind of a time portal loop or something. It's got to be. Uh, I, I, I was I saying to you earlier, Molly, have you seen the film that Disney film called The Aviator? It was a few many years ago, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, eighties, nineties. And near the end, but basically, it was this, this, this young child got adopted by these aliens, whatever you know what I mean, and they dropped him at a certain time, you know. And in the end, he said, "Look, I can't handle this. I, I want you to take me back where I was before." He said, "Well, it's dangerous, you know. So okay, you're going to go through his time." He said, you, "Your body might just disintegrate, you know." So I think it's Disney kind of telling you something here, well, you know. If you're if this, you're going to go back in the craft, yeah. go back in time. No. The craft is going to be okay, but my body won't take that kind mm-hmm. of frequency. I would dissolve because so. uh, I don't see how you can go backwards. Well, actually, I think, I think, you, I think in the machine, impossible. But to, well, I mean, you just going to say, yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking that, um, and I believe it's Stephen Hawking. Now, Stephen Hawking has better thoughts than I have, just over toast and tea in the morning than I have most of my whole life, but I think he said that going backward posed a problem. I, mm. I, I don't exactly remember what he said or why, but I know in his book, The Brief History of Time, he explained Ooh. it. No, that'll it's, do. I mean, if, if, if Stephen Hawking says it, that'll, yeah, do, that'll do for me. That'll do for me. I mean, me too. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with Stephen Hawking. 
but the, 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 pro- the, the problem with going backwards is is obviously everything's already happened. Do you know what I mean? So to, for you to to be in a situation where you can go backwards can never happen because you've it's it's already got to that point. Yeah, you, do you mean, know what I mean? mean? You've created that history. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. You you, know. you you have to go back before you can go. Do you know what I mean? You have to. Yeah. So anyway, it don't make sense. So let's leave that alone because I'll be here all day trying to explain <laughs> that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, believe me, me and, uh, me and Michael have started doing recordings, got into stuff, started talking, and what was going to be 45 minutes to an hour has now turned into three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, once you, sometimes once you get one of those things going, it's like, you know, you can't get off of it. Did you have that one about the calendar? Oh, yeah, do you want to about that? This, yeah. This, no, this, this a, one is definitely true. That's a good I mean, one. Yeah. It is quite recorded. It's well, well documented. Right, this one is... Uh, I don't say definitely true, but... Well, it's it's very well documented, yeah, yeah. put it that way. Yeah, let's say you that. Know, so, yeah. Whether Yvonne wasn't, <laughs> you know, so I'm just trying to kind of, you know... Right, this is a... Uh, right, this is a chartered DC-4 aircraft uh, with, 50 pa- with 57 passengers on board. It landed in Caracas, Venezuela, in 1992. 37 years after its disappearance in 1955, during a flight from New York to Miami. But in less than a few minutes, the plane took off again. A ghost disappeared into the clouds. What happened was this this plane came in, landed. Right, the, uh, the indications of workers' control service of the airport, who saw the incident the same in essence, said, de- said Deputy... Minister of Civil Aviation Raymond Estevar gave the pilot the runway a few seconds before takeoff and the disappearance of DC-4. He said, I saw the plane, I heard the voice of the pilot, I, um, but still cannot believe it, said Juan Dan Lacorte, who clearly saw everything that happened from the, his post on the tower control flight. These people aboard still think they are now in 1955. And that they had landed in Florida, but obviously yeah. they're not, okay? Uh, but it is not. God knows where they have been all these years. According to Delacorte and other managers, they realised that there was something supernatural when the airport was suddenly approached by this uh, plane, with propellers and all that, uh, that, has not, that did not even re- uh, appear on their radar screens. Uh, anyway, see... Uh, the, we saw the plane with our own eyes, but on the radar there was no signs of it, said Delacorte. We have asked the pilot to call himself, and he radioed us. Where are we, said the pilot. His voice was frightened and confused, but finally he said uh, that charter flight 914 from New York to Miami, with a crew of four people and 57 passengers, said that these words of the pilot in the control room was quiet. Everybody was stunned. I told the pilot it was Caracas, Venezuela, South America. Then I asked, are you suffering a disaster? There was no answer. And I cleared, I said to him, I cleared the corridor for landing. Uh, and just when I started to think that everything went well, I heard the pilot, uh, told his co-pilot, uh, his co-pilot, Jesus Christ, Jimmy, where the hell are you? Uh, they looked at the jet, apparently the jet's on there. Yeah. Obviously, the scene, what's going on, uh, and behaved as it was a spaceship. Anyway, according to the, uh, according to Delacorte, the pilot said, that's it. 
I'm out of here. You know, don't come any closer to the plane. Uh, we we are leaving. But he said before that they this the, the pilot was uh, uh, opened the window and threw a document out from the plane. Then the plane took off, and it just disappeared. The uh, the crew the ground crew came. And they found out it was a, a calendar from 1955. Ooh. So these are, this is just a, you know, so obviously this plane came in. And this was 1992? Yeah. Yeah. So this plane came in, thought it was still in Miami in 1957. Fine. And obviously it wasn't, was it? No. But they just took off and it just disappeared. So... Oh. What do you mean? So that, there's another kind of, uh, I guess you'd say time warp plane. Yeah, but obviously the, these, uh, obviously these, uh, pilots, they was, they was crapping themselves. Obviously they saw that they yeah. was not in 1957 mm-hmm. no more. There was in 19. 19- I mean, if it was just, uh, you know, obviously it does sound like a time warp, but if it was just that, why wouldn't they get off the plane, you know? Yeah. Why, yeah, why, that, why chuck a camera? That would be strange. Yeah. You'd, you'd think, wouldn't you? If like, uh, you know, you've got an opportunity to, you know, to get off, like, oh, no, obviously, <laughs> you, you, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you think the first thing you'd want to do is get the hell out of that plane. Yeah. We'll that would see. be your the first natural instinct is just get the hell away from that plane. But I mean, then you kind of work everything else out. But I, I would think, uh, at least with me, I think I would think that the natural instinct would be to think that somebody was messing with you, you know, like it was a, a joke or something like that. I wouldn't think to, you know, that throwing a calendar and trying to take back off, I think it would be like, okay, stop this crap. What's really going on? Or, you know, how do we get off course or whatever? You know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's one of the, well, I guess every person would react differently to the situation, but you got to think the co-pilot and the crew that were in the plane and the, you know, the people that were on it, the passengers, they would have to be freaking out. Two. Well, now oh, yeah. the, when so the this, plane took this. when the plane took back off, did it, did it vanish or did yeah. it just fly away? It just vanished. Yeah, and on the passenger, they said that uh, it didn't come when the plane came in. It wasn't even on radio. Yeah, one on radio it just sort of appeared. So obviously, they did get him on radio. But on the passengers, they said that the the ground crew said that the passengers had the faces pressed to the glass. As if there was almost like, you know, looking as if, yeah. like, where are we? Where are we? What's going on? So obviously they, they thought, well, in their minds, they was in Florida. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, they wasn't um, actually in, in uh, Cuba. Well, Venezuela. That's, sorry. that's, oh, that's enough to break your brain, you know, it, it, to think about all the possibilities of what could be going on there. I mean, either A, they're actually ghosts. As we know them now by today's idea of what a ghost is, or they're still alive and they're trapped in some sort of a continuous loop that they can't get out of. And yeah, it would, it would almost that, make you lean toward that. And yeah. that might be it, what would be interesting is, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we, if you could somehow look this up to see if, I, I don't know if, uh, there was some way of seeing if maybe that plane had 
I guess you'd say landed in another airport at another time or something else of that nature, because it almost sounds like uh, the thing I keep going back to is the, why did they throw the calendar out the window and take back off? That almost sounds like something that was planned or rehearsed or thought of ahead of time. Mm, you know, yeah, I think it was going like to they were trying to get some kind that. of message. Yeah, out. trying to get a message out. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he tried to. He, the the court, he said, "Look, no, everything's okay." But he, he did say the pilots was like really crapping themselves. You know what's going on? You know, um, as soon as he said, "We're going to send the ground crew to you." That was it. So I mean, they just said, "No, no, do not go near us. Do not work with them now." Almost like say, trying to get a message out. Almost. Goes into the realms of sort of aliens, aliens, doesn't it? Because you've heard like stories of, um, I mean, we had Miles Johnson on, and he told the story of, um, passenger planes being a, a total, you know, ab, ab, abductions of everybody on board a passenger plane, mm. um, stuff like that. So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the Japanese airline flight, uh, 1628 over, um, over Alaska, yeah, Anchorage. Right? You know, mm. over over Anchorage was was mm. followed by a UFO, and they had the UFO on radar. Mm. You know, they had it on. They had radar hits of, of, of this thing on radar, and um, yeah, that they was kind of they made him do a um, they made him do a complete circle, didn't they? They followed him yeah. on radar, yeah, and, yeah, and they got they actually had the radar contact of this thing, and. Um, that was kind of all pushed under the rug. I mean, yeah. Well, that that, um, that Japanese pilot ended up getting a desk job after that, didn't he? Cause yeah, he, he ended up flying. Yeah, he spoke yeah. up, ended up flying a desk. So that's what you get. That's, that's why a lot of this stuff, like piracy, don't come out because it, it will be. It'll be all uh, hushed up, you know, and uh, it's credibility. Yeah, yeah. And it's well, the government, yeah, yeah. the government, the, the government do know what's going on. They do know what's going on. They just trying to cover it up and keep it quiet, hush hush. You know, that's, that's in my that's in my view anyway. So, well, I mean, I've actually got I've actually got a copy of an FBI memo um, from Roswell. Um, I got it. it it's on from the Freedom of Information Act. You know, and they actually describe the and the FBI agent in the in the report says that you know there were three craft that had crashed. And that there were bodies recovered, and this is this is um, this is an FBI this is an FBI memo uh, from 1950. It was a Freedom of Information Act. Um, it was gotten and it um, to the director of the FBI from uh, special agent in charge, Di Hotel H O T. T-E-L, um, about Roswell. And he was told by an investigator for the Air, an investigator for the Air Force stated that three so-called flying saucers had been recovered in New Mexico. And they were described as being circular. I'm reading this from the report, circular in shape with raised centers approximately 50 feet in diameter. Each one was occupied by three bodies of human shape, but only three feet tall. Dressed in metallic cloth of a very fine texture, each body was bandaged in a manner similar to the 
I think that's says blackout suits used by speed flyers and stunt pilots. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, you jump, you jump so you, you G force. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 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 It says here, according to him, the name's blacked out. Uh, the saucers were found in New Mexico due to the fact that the government has a very high-powered high powered radar set up in that area and is believed that the radar interference interfered with the control surfaces mechanisms of the saucers. No further evaluation was attempted, and that was dated um, dated uh, March 29, 1950. So, you know, the government was talking to the FBI and saying, you know, we got, we got three saucers and we got, we got nine bodies, you know. So I can't imagine that, you know, that an FBI agent is going to write something like that to the director, which at the time was J. Edgar Hoover, you know, and because if you write something like that to Hoover, you better be able to back it up. You know, because Hoover didn't take any crap. So, um, I mean, obviously there's something to it. And, and just, um, you know, so we know that these things exist. We know that there have been several airlines, airplanes that have been, that have been affected. Um, Whole planes have disappeared, you know, uh, you know, just from everything from, from small private planes to, to other things and with no, no cause that you can put your finger on and say, well, it's gotta be something like that. Cause what else could it be? So, so where, my, my question here would be, so, um, where's this plane been for the past 37 years? Mm. You know, if, it, if it's had a you know, left um, New York, uh, to my bank, also, so where's 37 years gone? Well, my question would be, why only planes? You know, we don't get, we don't get people pulling into get, garages, do we? You know, to go into fuel up in a garage and, you know, <laughs> for, but, but, Wait, don't know, do you? look at the price of this fuel. What the fuck? You know what I mean? It used, <laughs> used to cost me a, what, a 25, <laughs> 25, yeah. 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 something's like, yeah. you know, yeah. 799 a litre. You've got pound notes on you. Don't take the word paint. Go in inside. What are you on about? Like, yeah, we, and then just going back in his car and drive it off. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, why, why only planes? That's the, you know, that's the, it actually, there has been reports of, uh, normal ships that have not, not the exact same thing. I, I don't, I cannot remember any specifically that, uh, like show up with crew or every, or anything intact, but there are reports of ships that, uh, have been lost. Everyone assumed has sunk or something of that nature. And then, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, they pull into port. And there's nothing, you know, the ship is completely sound. There's no signs of like fire or uh, in some of the cases, uh, like a pirate attack or anything like that. There's just nobody on it. The ship is fine and it just sails in like, you know, it's Tuesday afternoon or whatever. It doesn't, and it's just a, there have been reports of that to where ships have been lost for, like I said, decades. And then all of a sudden they just turn up. No one knows exactly what happened. Why, even if 
you know, figuring, okay, they should be about here. They'll send out a, a, you know, searches for them and there's nothing. Other ships in cargo lanes have passed and said, you know, well, yeah, we saw it, but you know, it's just kind of sailing along and it just never reaches. It's just like, uh, you know, stops, I guess for, you know, it's just like stops sailing for 10, 20 years and then continues on. And there are also reports of, uh, one of them I can think of the most is from New York. Uh, man disappeared in the, I think it was the late 1800s. And his, he was going to the store to like pick up a loaf of bread or whatever. Goes out and all of a sudden he's gone. He never comes back. Well, his family figures, okay, he's ditched us and ran off. Oh, in the yeah, 1930s yeah. or 40s, this there's a guy that's extraordinarily confused, has no clue what's going on, and ends up actually having a heart attack in the middle of Times Square. When they're searching, he has old money. He does have an ID with his address on it. So they take a picture of, uh, I would assume, the body, take it to the address, and it is the girl much older now, would happen to have been her his granddaughter. And she did actually identify him as her grandfather. It was like he was walking down the middle of the street, walking to the store, and all of a sudden he takes a step, and he's in 1940s Times Square, New York. The shock to the system, the, the fact of seeing this, they said the, the report that I read, which again, this is from Internet, I haven't really, I haven't really researched this one, that, you know, he was screaming like a madman and dropped dead. Uh, I guess, you know, the, the shock to the system. I mean, imagine where you're, you're in a place with a few hundred people, horses and carriage, and you walk into a place with a few thousand people and cars and electric signs and everything all around you. That would be a hellacious shock to your system. If anything, throw you into a heart attack, that'd do it. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do actually have somewhat reports i don't you know and you gotta take everything in this with a grain of salt but we do have some reports that could actually justify that you know yeah there are areas that if you want to say times time shifts dimensional shifts whatever but you can literally take a step and it's like walking through a door all of a sudden you're somewhere else well i mean I mean, would you take that step? That's the question, isn't it? Depends where you, uh, where yeah. you, get, you know, where you ended up in, yeah. you know? I mean, if you look at some of them, yeah. like, uh, you know, the Az- them Aztec doorways and not, not Aztec fucking hell, Mayan doorways, you know, where they, they're just carved into rock, like a rock face. Just, yeah. It's obviously, a, you know, it looks like a doorway to all intents and purposes, but it doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, and oh, yeah. obviously ancient alien speculation, there's that, you know, these are some sort of, like Stargate, you know. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I've read a, I've read a bit into those, and you know, in the realm of possibility, you got to say just about anything is. You know, it could be possible that that was some type of uh, a planned transportation between two places. Uh, well, you got to think about a lot about the Mayans, Aztecs, the ancient Egyptians, a lot of that stuff. There were parts of their technology, I guess you'd say, that were far more advanced than they should have been. I mean, there are places, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, Mexico and South America, some of the blocks that were used to build their structures are so 
precisely cut to fit into where they needed it yep. that we cannot even duplicate it with a laser today. A computer mm. cannot duplicate that cut. How did they make it using stone instruments? Well, uh, the obvious answer is they didn't. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing. It, it, yeah. it, the obvious answer would have to be they didn't. They no, couldn't. I, I believe, well, we, we sort of think that yeah. it's more likely it's the elongated school people, maybe yeah. the Prakas people. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, obviously, they, they moved this stone with yeah. thought. Not just know, there, but in the no, Middle East. There's no, what you've seen on television, you know, the, the, old, the old, old slaves. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, probably you said, yeah. Lies, you know, yeah. that didn't ever happen, you know, it's just a uh, brainwashing but, um, shit. Where do you stand on the, um, um the missing 411 stuff? Ah, just have a know about that. Yeah, because, uh, the, there is one, um, well, there is one or two plane cases. Mm. And again, you know, we were talking about vast areas here, so it's not mm. out the realms of possibility people could have missed it. But there's one or two plane cases where we talk about um, wreckage that's not found in the, the initial surge, and then maybe it's found, you know, a year on or so. There was one. Well, you in, know, uh, go on. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to say there was one in uh, Russia uh, that happened on. Right, bear with me because my Russian's uh, pretty shit. But it it happened. <laughs> so this is a plane, and it's thirteen passengers disappeared after going on an unauthorized joyride in Sarajevo in Sverdlovskis. That's exactly how you say it. Yeah. Oblast in Russia on June eleventh. Like, yeah, <laughs> and uh, apparently there was an extensive search uh, within the five mile area where you know this plane took off, and it. A year later, two hunters came across the debris in his swamp. Um, obviously, you know, the, the transpired that it was this missing plane, but the relatives are up in arms because they believe that the, the, the government's holding back some information because they can't understand how this plane could not have been found within five miles of the airport that mm. it took off from. They knew which direction it took, you know, it was, uh, was, you know, the, from radar, they knew which way it had gone. Um, and yet it was found exactly where they'd searched, you know, a year later. So, and it, it falls into that missing 411 sort of bracket, doesn't it? Where, you know, the searching area and then they come back later on and the body's found there. It's just, but it's the same thing, but this is obviously a plane, but, you know, you think... But there's got to be time. There's got to be some kind of portal. So we've got something here where you go in and you're in at a certain time, you come out of it at a certain time, it like, not release. Yeah, yeah. But it's got to be kind of a, you know, you go through this portal time slip or whatever. Well, one know. of the things that, uh, one of the things maybe was, it, maybe five minutes. In that case is that the, um, gone by when you come out of it. The, even a year later, they could still see that the logs, the trees around, because it, it fell on a mountainside and it was fully there, you know, there's trees everywhere and it, some of the trees around it were burnt to a crisp. So it's not as if this thing didn't burn when it hit the ground. It, it really did burn, uh, you know, aviation fuel. It only just took off, so it was fully laden. Um, you know, you think it would have been down to spot something like that from, yeah. from miles around. Yeah. So, um, um, you know. You can speculate, can't we? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could. You... Yeah. Um, I know the, yeah. the missing 411 stuff. I, I've read, I think, three of those books and listened to the author, David Polites is his name. Yeah. And um, some of the stuff, you know, they'll search an area, and these are, these are, 
highly trained search and rescue people, you know. They go to school for this stuff, and they know their business. And they'll search an area, and then they'll find, they won't find nothing. Then they'll walk down the main road they've been, they've walked down probably a hundred times, and there's a body laying right there. You know, well, how did he get there? We, we searched here. It wasn't here, mm. you know. So, where was it? Um, and it really, I, I think a lot of it, the disappearances and things like that, even though the airplanes and, and even with people and stuff, I honestly think it comes down to some kind of a dimensional shift. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that I know that theoretically time travel is possible, but that's theory. You know, that's you know we're talking about the math works. You know, the whole area of theoretical physics and stuff on, you know, stuff on subatomic particles and this and that. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, we believe it, we know it because well, the math works out. You know, the math says it's it'll work, but. This isn't a subatomic particle. This is an airplane that took off in 19-whatever, 1930-something, and landed in 1990, you know, or whatever whatever the case may be. It's not it's not a little bitty particle. It's a damn airplane with people on it, hmm. <laughs> you know. So where was it for 40 years? And, and that, where did that, it go? And where did it go? And, yeah. and you know. And how did it stay flying? Because there was obviously no fuel. You know, and, and the, 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 there ain't no gas tank that's going to last 40 years or 50 years. And the scary, the scary part about, like the one you just talked about a while ago, the plane landed and the pilot threw a calendar out from 1955. Yeah. I think the only thing to me, I mean, not that, you know, because everybody is at some point going to die. It's the natural order of things. But I think the only thing probably would be worse than that for some people would be to be stuck in some kind of an endless loop of time that you can never get out of. You can never get out of. You can never get out of. If you were just flying around in this airplane forever and you took off, but you could never land, you were always in this in this loop. Mm. And, and to me that to me that's frightening. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want to do the same thing, be in the same place for for thirty or forty years doing the same exact thing. Mm. I mean, you're not you're never aging, but you're not really living either. Mm. Well, that, you know, I mean, that, I mean it, it, it kind of would be a bit of. I was going to say that feels that feels like my my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fifty hours a week. Yeah. I've had jobs like that. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're back in that area, you've got to deliver it again and again and again and again. That, yeah. that's hell. That's Unfortunately, hell. I am aging. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing it doesn't seem to ever stop. No, no. It's but, like uh, yeah, you know, it seems like just yesterday I was twenty. Today, my knee, both of my knees hurt, and it's like. The aging doesn't seem to slow down. You just still stay in the zombie mode, though, and just keep going with it. Yeah, that's it. Just uh, just keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other, and uh, eventually you'll get to the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Jump. (laughs) You know, I've actually got one that's kind of the 
other side of the coin of what we've been talking about. It's it's dealing with planes, but it's dealing with everything saying that there was a plane crash, except for one minor detail. No plane. Mm-hmm. This is from Miami Township, Ohio. This is a small town outside of Dayton, Ohio. A lot of people have heard of Dayton due to the fact of one place. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. This, yep. I guess, I guess you'd say in the 1950s, 60s, it was Area 51 before there was an Area 51. Well, that was where the this, bodies from Roswell were supposed to be supposedly taken after the crash was right and Patterson. part of the and, and part of the and wreckage part of the wreckage examined. Yeah. It also uh, houses it, the planes and the bombs from that they were using during World War II. The Enola Gay is there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that the, was the first the plane that dropped. Division, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So then, there's actually a kind of neat story about that. That uh, the Enola Gay actually uh, was lo- was loaded and ready to make another run when Japan surrendered. So they took, of course, the bomb and everything off after the surrender. But there are people, and this has actually been documented on Ghost Hunters and everything else. There are reports of people saying that they have seen the Enola Gay. Loaded. The bombs are actually on the plane still, but of course they do not store a plane with atomic weapons in it. You know, but they have actually reported seeing the bombs loaded onto the plane. But the this place is, is called Miami Township, and it's a small area, a small town right outside of Dayton. This is a, the only thing I could find that actually documents this is a police log from. November 29th, 1996. This is the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. These uh, Shift 3 dispatchers, one's name's Virginia Himes, the other is Michelle Lovely, have a report that starts at around 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the evening of a man that's unloading some shopping or groceries from his car, and all of a sudden, and this is his, uh, his words, it sounds like two concrete slabs crashing together. I could feel it. It shook me. It shook my house and windows. The shades even rattled for about 30 seconds. And they also, at this time now, get in somewhere in the 8 o'clock area. They get a report from the FAA flight service station located at Dayton International Airport. They need to coordinate rescue services because they have an ELT beacon, an emergency location transmission beacon, saying that there is a plane roughly two miles west of Dayton General Airport that has crashed. So this, they actually have a warning that this plane has crashed. This is the FAA. Now, first off, strangely enough, the signal did not come in locally. <clears throat> It was detected by a orbiting GPS satellite. This did not get detected locally. Most of the time, the the warnings are detected locally, but this wasn't. So, needless to say, they they scrambled search crews. This this started. They hit places in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. They all kind of converged on the area where this was supposed to have happened. Of course, they're also getting nine one one calls of the explosion of people seeing and smelling fire. One or two reports actually seeing a plane with one red light crashing. They go out to this area. 
And then they all of a sudden get a call. They're actually in the wrong spot. That it has changed. Instead of being to the west of Dayton International Airport, it is now approximately 15 miles north, uh, sorry, 15 miles northwest of the airport, where it was originally reported at two miles due west. Now, this is from their uh, uh, dispatcher's call logs here. They're advised by at 9.17 p.m. on that day by Diana of the neighboring Miamisburg Police Department that foot units have reported they are in the area. They can smell smoke and burning rubber, but they can find no wreckage. These are... These are police, policemen, firefighters, paramedics. Like I said, this was a multi because they assumed they have a plane crash. There was a multi-unit, multi-state, actually, rescue squad that had converged on this area. They have got witnesses that have seen the plane, heard the crash, smelled the smoke, everything. But to this date, no plane has been reported missing. And no record has ever been found. No sign of a wreck has ever been found. There's no scorched trees. There's no burned ground. There's no crater, impact crater. Nothing. It's like nothing had ever been touched. This is the problem that comes in is that, uh, this actually, uh, post 83 of the local aviation group that's supposed to keep track of all this stuff. They found out they kept no records. The records were crap and that actually brought up FAA charges on them. But like I said, there was not anything reported. No planes were reported missing, at least not in that area. So could it have been a plane that had come off course that wasn't supposed to be there that did not have the authorization? Because even if you're in a private plane, you still have to file a Fight a flight path and plans with the FAA. Yeah, I mean, what about, none of that uh, was supposed what, to come through there. What about a smuggler's plane? I, th- I think anyone would have to file any uh, or have that with it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, smug- You know, if there's smuggling drug drugs, you know, you obviously, yeah. But, but yeah, then, you wouldn't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, smuggler. The, sorry, kind of cut out there. But yeah, smugglers plane. No, they would definitely not want to have yeah. anything there. The, the only thing I no could see is wreckage. it could be being, yeah. But they wouldn't have lights on either, would it? And people reported lights. Ooh. Yeah, they reported lights. The like I said, they reported that uh, the ground crew actually radioed that they were in the right area because they could smell the fire, mm-hmm. and they could smell. Jet fuel, they could smell burning rubber, they could smell stuff burning. But tracking back and forth through there, they still could never find the wreckage. Just smell it. Obviously, it's quite possible that uh, it, could be, it could be maybe a future event. Not now. I must even, as you say, go back in time. This could be a future event. We don't know. It's, mm. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. That's a scary thought. No one's built an house there. <laughs> yeah. That's not, well, this, as far as I can tell, it's a little bit of a, a physically rural area. Yeah. Yeah. So, very strange, that. Very strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that was one actually I'd, I'd kind of, you know, like I said, when you have people that can, that report, you know, okay, I saw an airplane. 
it was heading toward the ground. There was one only one option of uh, stopping. You actually have, like I said, these are police, firefighters, paramedics that are saying we're in the right area. We can smell the fire, mm. feel the heat. I There's suppose, rubber here. We can I tell. The only other option is maybe some sort of space debris. You know, cover up. You mean? Uh, no, no, like, uh, you know, like just a piece of, you know, like a, an old satellite falling to Earth or something like that, you know, some piece of space junk that's just crashed to Earth yeah. and, you know, could have, you know, as it come in, it would have illuminated, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, you're, but, uh, yeah, if it's something like a, a comet or, uh, like you said, like a satellite, most of that stuff breaks apart in the yeah. upper atmosphere. It, it creates a, a amazing light show. But the fact of it is, most of it uh, doesn't actually hit the ground because it either dissolves or burns mm. up or whatever before so, it ever gets to there. So that would explain, you know, like people going out and still smelling this, you know, because you smell, you can smell uh, lightning, can't you? Yeah, yeah, especially if it's close enough to you. I can tell you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, smelled that before. So you know what I mean. So it might just be something like that, where you know, obviously, but then you've got the you've got the you've got the people reporting a foot on the ground, though, aren't you? So. Something did hit the ground. Mm. Um, yeah, something they were, very that's similar. The... Um, I don't know if you're aware, but something very similar happened in uh, Wales, didn't it? Uh, was it was it Brecon Beacons? Was it? Can't remember. Can't remember. But anyway, something's very similar happened in Wales, where something hit the ground. People felt thought it was an earthquake, and obviously we don't get many earthquakes in the UK. So um, you know that was alarming. But then other people reported seeing this red object uh, coming through from the sky. You know, obviously in the ground, and then people reported seeing a fire in the distance up on mm. this hill. Uh, and you know, obviously, next thing, military moved in, and uh, you know, that's that's the end of the story, basically. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, something very similar happened over here. So, you know, we had I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Kecksburg incident. No. Um, and that almost mimics what you just said. They saw an object come in was sort of a a round-looking object, and it hit the ground. You know, there was there was like smoke and stuff come up, and they thought a plane had crashed. But the military had moved in. This was in Pennsylvania, Kicksburg, Pennsylvania, this was. Now, I don't remember the year, really, because I, I hadn't planned on talking about it because it's kind of a UFO thing, and I really wasn't going to go that way. But... Um, it, it, this thing crashed to the ground and the military moved in and apparently recovered whatever it was. But there was a crater left in the ground wherever it, when it hit. Because they sent out the fire department and the police and everybody else thinking that it was a plane crash. You know, they were going to be bodies and injuries and whatever else. And um, they got there and they were all stopped by the military and told to go home. You know, the military had come in and taken over the site. It does make you wonder how they seem Obviously to... Obviously said, there's nothing to worry about here. It's yeah. just a weather balloon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. you know? It does make you yeah, wonder usually, how yeah. they... Everything's yeah. over once the military gets in. Yeah, yeah. but like I say, it makes you wonder how they seem to know when these things are going to happen because well, they, they do, seem to they? be you know, yeah. pretty mobile, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Send the troops out. That's it. Well, um, that's what they do. Well, you know. That being said, I mean that's uh, ghost planes, isn't it? So yeah, I think we've covered it 
pretty well, haven't we? So yeah, well, at least some good examples and a whole bunch of different sides of the coin there with that. Because we did have, you know, we've covered disappearing planes, reappearing planes, plane crashes that never happened, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I think we've got, got like, a really good coverage of all the all the spectrum of plane possibilities. Absolutely. I mean, you, I mean, we, I mean, you could go down the road of, the, you know, the, the the phantom planes, what people see in the sky, and then they found the, you know, some wreckage of a World War Two plane where this plane crashed and all that stuff. There's loads of loads well, of those stories, yeah, replays and time yeah. sort of thing, but. Um, I don't know. Well, all we can say now is uh, thank you very much for yeah, joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was great. Enjoyed on. it. Yeah, it was great to be on. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So, um, do you want to tell people where they can find you? I know, I know this is going to go on your your podcast as well. But do you want to tell yeah. people where they can find you before on that? Well, yeah. we're just about everywhere. We we do have. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google Plus, all of it. Uh, Twitter is at Night Stalker Pod, Facebook and Google Plus are Paranormal Night Stalker. Uh, easiest place to get our podcast is tinyurl.com backslash Night Stalker Pod. Saves a lot of time from giving out the full address. If you just type in tinyurl backslash Night Stalker Pod, it'll take you directly to our blog talk radio page. Of course, we're also on iTunes. Um, I'm working to get it back onto Google Plus from the new uh, new feed on Google Plus, but you can still find or Google Play rather. Sorry, you can still find it there. I'm going to be updating the old one for at least uh, another three or four weeks. But uh, like I said, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Podomatic. But the easiest way to find it is tinyurl.com backslash NightStalkerPod. All right, cheers, guys. Right. Cheers. Take care, guys. Thanks again for having us yep, on. Take it easy. Yep. Bye now. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Okay, just before we go, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already entered, please enter the T-shirt competition. You've got a very good chance of winning, as uh, most of the entries so far have not hit the full six countries that we're looking for. So, bear that in mind. Head over to the website for details. Just before I lose my voice, it's www.don'tbreaktheoathpodcast.com. Please, if you can, leave a review. We'll be reading them out on the next show. And subscribe. Uh, We'll see you next week. Cheers.